Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the no BS marketing podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. The headline has just got to kill, or the first tweet has got to go. You're allowed to be a little bit clickbaity on the first piece, but if everything else is like an A plus, 10 out of 10 effort, like a true effort, I think those things tend to do even better than the super clickbaity stuff, if that kind of makes sense. There's like, you can go low effort, go quote unquote viral. I think some of the standard stuff that people recognize is in media, there's two famous lines in, uh, in, in publishing. It's like, if it bleeds, it leads. So if something's sensational, people will typically click on it. Or, you know, sex sells. Those standard things, those ideas can also be transmitted into viral text or business content, which is what I do. What's up, everybody? What's up? I would like to introduce the guest of the hour, Tron. He is a Twitter genius. He writes viral content all the time. He's been featured in... Pretty much every publication there is. 500K followers on Twitter. So I'd like to welcome Trunk to the stage. 499,000, just to be honest here. We can't just be You know what? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think being specific always matters. So 499. But I want to jump into this because I know you have parent duties coming up. So we need to to get some fire Uh, content. 100%. Hit me. Start peppering me with questions. Appreciate the intro. That was really kind of you. Let's just start with like, what goes into viral content? You've been creating content for a while on Twitter. You've been viral multiple times. What goes into a viral post or viral content? I mean, I think a lot of people recognize what is something quote unquote viral. The way I like think about it though, there's like like low kind of uh, effort viral. Like you could basically take any the listicle that BuzzFeed has ever done over the past decade, turn it into a Twitter thread and there's a high possibility it will go viral because it's already proven that it hits the uh, people's psychology, quote unquote. I think people recognize if you put a lot of effort into, uh, um, it doesn't have to be threats, it can be anything, right? People will recognize if you put a lot of effort into something and that piece of content also go viral. The, the, the key here being that first, it's like anything for writing, right? The headline has just got to kill or the first tweet has got to go. You're allowed to be a little bit clickbaity on the first piece, but if everything else is like an A plus 10 out of 10 effort, like a true effort, I think those things tend to do even better than the super clickbaity stuff, if that kind of makes sense. There's like, you can go low effort, go quote unquote viral. I think some of the standard stuff that people recognize is in media, there's two famous lines in, uh, in in publishing. It's like, if it bleeds, it leads. So if something's sensational, people will typically click on it. Or, you know, sex sells. Those standard things, those ideas can also be transmitted into viral text or business content, which is what I do. I, I love the, the two classification of like this busty, fluffy, listicle stuff, um, which works because people like that kind of stuff people like yeah, less, people want to be also, entertained right like you're flipping through yeah. stuff and you just want to get oh cool like 10 like times microsoft screwed up sweet like awesome right and then uh and then the other one though is that the other one where there's like quote unquote quality is that's the stuff, type of stuff that gets shared a lot and it's a bit more evergreen right like people will like keep referring back to that or someone read that and be like they'll send it to their their coworkers or their boss or be like, yo, this is actually something very insightful and very interesting. So that's kind of what I personally optimize for. 
Not to say that I haven't gone listicle route because sometimes the algo makes you so thirsty and you're so <laughs> you're like, yo, I haven't had that dopamine hit in a while. But I think there's other frameworks for what makes something go viral, right? Is when somebody looks at a piece of content, they want to know, okay, it, is this challenging my existing worldview? Is this uh, something I, I didn't know of and that uh, and will actually improve, you know, the corpus of my knowledge? Challenging worldview, adding to your knowledge, uh, humor, and then anger—like pretty standard stuff, right? It's like, are you are you tugging at these kind of emotional strings, and then using the a lot of the copywriting tricks up top, which I know that you talk about a lot to just suck people in. And, and all this is amoral. It's just completely amoral judgments. Is like people are attracted to certain things, just just the same way that most fast food joints have the color red in their logo. It's like they're trying to trigger a response. It's well known that red, it kind of raises your heart rate, makes you hungrier. So this is why they all use it. These are all tricks. You can do the same with text. And tricks are not necessarily bad. But again, it goes back to this low effort, high effort thing where I think, some people will read a low effort piece of content or consume it afterwards. Like they actually won't feel that good. They'll be like, oh man, I just spent 15 minutes like reading this, like looking at the hundred like craziest like uh, lines in, in, in Halloween horror movies. Like after you do that, you'll be like, oh, that wasn't probably the best thing I should have done with 15 minutes. Whereas something that uh, maybe the creator had a little bit more, put a little bit more effort into and actually wasn't just trying to optimize purely for quote unquote virality is uh, something where you might walk away from and feel a little bit better. Mr. B says something, and I think you do this very well, where he says it's better to have a 10x idea versus just like span, like do quantity, especially on videos for virality, do a oh, bunch yeah. of like videos. He so said that how do you come up with like a 10? Yeah, yeah. How do you come up with a, your 10x ideas? Like, because you, you come up with some banger posts that are written, like the Sriracha post and the Disney post, like, how do you think? Well, of the one these I have things? where right do you now, find ASML is another good one. Yeah, I'll answer your question. Is uh, I think uh, my day job is just to consume a lot of business content, so uh, ideas are always swirling. But uh, there's something about uh, native to we'll just talk about Twitter because I spend most of my time. But like, listen, you can take blog posts and turn them into tweet storms, and you can take a 10 minute YouTube lecture and turn it into a tweet storm. But there's actually something very specific to Twitter that uh, just the way people use. It's typically done on mobile, obviously, and you're just you're scrolling through a tweet thread. Is uh that medium is actually perfect for interjecting like really smart gifs and videos that might not be as natural when people are reading maybe a desktop uh, publishing article or or LinkedIn, right? Because LinkedIn kind of gives you that one unit of uh, image or video that you can have in a body of text, but. If you use Twitter right, you can really integrate text and video and images, and this does really well for technology, science kind of uh, information sharing because like you, I'll read an article in The Economist, right, about uh, semiconductor manufacturing. But they'll literally just have one image at the top and the rest will just be text. Uh, but if you use Twitter, you can start filling in all these videos and images, uh, moving images from the, like I take it from the corporate websites of the companies. So uh, the one that's pinned to my profile now is about a, a company that manufactures the machines that make semiconductors it's called asml and that's a perfect example of, of integrating what's native to which is like every tweet you can put an image or, or video and then you can actually scroll through that and after actually five minutes i think it took me like 30 hours to write because i didn't know much about the industry but after five minutes 
uh, a reader will be like pretty caught up to like they'll have at least a coffee table conversational knowledge about it. So to answer your question is like how do I quote unquote come up with these things is uh I like to combine whatever's happened kind of in the not necessarily right away in the news cycle but having a different angle of showing people the stuff that they typically might not see just reading just text and I think Twitter is actually perfectly made for that. And th- those do pretty well. How does your like writing process go and how do you plan out like this is going to be the hook and this is going to be like this next tweet and this tweet or like how do you plan out the post like what is your process for it? There's definitely a bit of a formula and uh, I mean I can walk you uh, through a couple of things that I've noticed from some of the ones that have been the most successful and it, and it's not like every time I'm mapping out to the same template but listen you got to again the first tweet not surprising, you know, scroll stopper uh, it usually involves numbers. That's that's the thing. Numbers, timelines, it's like uh, stuff to anchor people to what's happening. So like if you put a big number, that's a pretty standard move. If you put a time period, people also enjoy that. And if you you lay out, again, this is headline writing 101, right? A little bit of curiosity gap. I mean, you, you're not trying to be like, oh, these 10 crazy things that happen, number eight will blow your mind, but you want a little bit of curiosity gap. But what I'll do is, I'll do that on the first tweet. So I'll take the ASML example again. I just laid out this company. It's like, a lot of people don't know this company. It's worth $300 billion, one of the most important companies in the world because it manufactures uh, semiconductor chips uh, or makes the machines that does that. So the second tweet, what I'll typically do is I'll, I'll lay out, a, uh, I'll put everything in context of a why this matters. And then I'll just dig into something story. So actually, if you look at some of the ones that you've mentioned, it really is like, Okay, you just got to nail the headline. I meant the first tweet or the, the header of your story. That's just a no-brainer. The second thing is providing context for, for people. And that usually means like talking about the industry, like how uh, how big the industry is and where the industry kind of is, whatever you can fit in 280 characters. And then the third tweet and on is kind of telling the whole story. So there is a bit of a formula. And as with any good writing in the final tweet, you want to wrap up the entire story with a bow. But um yeah, I think if you put uh, if you put my feet to the fire, I could probably just write a like here's here's 15 tweets because typically 15 tweets is the most I want to do. That works out to about six seven hundred words, which is uh, even a bit higher on the uh, the word count side. So I write a Bloomberg Opinion article and I try to hit with Bloomberg Opinion about six seven hundred words. That works out to about four or five minutes of reading, maybe maybe less less than five minutes of reading. So I, I also take that into consideration. But yeah, I think uh, there there are definitely pieces that are transferable to other people. So just to go, what you just said is one nail the headline because that is the most important part of the whole thing. That's why people because the scroll stopping right, nobody's gonna look right, yeah. and it's like um, yeah. And then the second, and then add so that and add psychology into that, whether it's curiosity, big number, whatever. The second is the the why and wrapping up like the industry of like this is what. The, we're going to be talking about this is a little background of the industry and then go into the meat of the story where there's yeah, like interesting doing history, facts that right? people didn't yeah. know yeah exactly there's interesting facts that people it. didn't know about yeah a lot yeah, of people I find the history would, of things super important that, that to your point yeah i i i, uh, I optimize for that a lot uh just because i personally enjoy history and and uh, you know the standard saying history everything's happened before right what's old is new what's new is old so and it's like, also, you know, I think, what context. one thing you do really well, I think, is and people for like viral content when you do it is like you get facts that not many people 
know about or they haven't heard for a while or something that is a little piquing people's interest like oh that's how that story evolved i didn't know about this let me keep reading so it's like every every line is every tweet and every line is leading to the next line which is so important is thinking of your any content is like a slippery slope of like hey headline like what now the next line has to lead to the next line now the next line and then wrap it all up i totally agree and i'll give a very uh twitter specific uh no, i wouldn't call it a hack but for the ones that do the most well, I'm talking where you'll get 5, 10, 20 million impressions is if every single tweet can stand on its own, and this isn't a narrative one because obviously in any clickbait list, each tweet's going to be able to stand on its own, right? And that's why those do really well too because those all get, quote, retweeted, like those individual tweets because that individual tweet, you don't even need to provide context. But if you write a, a, a thread poorly, uh, like one tweet might not have enough context where somebody will just quote retweet that individual piece but like i'll try to write a thread where each single tweet is like provides enough information and context uh in 280 characters where somebody can just literally take that single piece of tweet and then quote retweet it uh that which gets the whole virality and engine going but it's, it's a little bit hard like uh that that's actually why a, a well-written thread despite the reputation of a lot of twitter threads because of the listies kind of stuff a well-written thread actually takes longer to write than a comparable like essay, right? Like if I wrote a thousand word essay versus a 15 tweet thread, the 15 tweet thread, if we're, we're, we're saying all things equal, the quality is the same, will be harder because you had those restrictions for each single tweet. Whereas I can just freehand uh, a thousand word piece. How do you think about the articles? Like how do you create articles? That, like for example, the LinkedIn one that you did that got shared around a bunch. How do you think about it for creating articles that will get shared to a bunch of people? So I I prefer long-form writing. I like writing 1,500, 2,000 because what I actually optimize for is humor in my writing. And you can't really do that in a thread because – or I choose not to do it in a thread because I want to keep my threads at 15 tweets maximum. And I can't just be interjecting jokes everywhere, right, because I'll just go across that 15-tweet line. So that to me is like part, kind of my least favorite part of threads. Uh, but writing uh, long-form – whether it's for Bloomberg, for my newsletter, I can definitely punch in a lot more jokes, which is kind of what I personally enjoy. But to answer your question, I go backwards a bit when I'm writing or picking a topic because it goes, it starts with everything we talked about at the beginning is like, how does something quote unquote become viral? And it's not to say that everything I write, I'm like, oh my God, I hope this goes viral. But obviously you want people to read it. But I will re- I will write something or choose a topic with, okay, what's this? What's the tweet of me sending this out going to look like? What, how am I going to word it? And can I word it in such a way where somebody will actually click the article because Twitter is so savage on, uh, uh, in the algo. Same with LinkedIn, right? They'll throttle, they'll throttle the, um, the link to an outside site, which makes sense. They want you staying on their website. Yeah, so that, to answer your question, nothing groundbreaking. Is like I do think about the 280 characters of how that will go out, and people have been doing this for headlines for ages. And uh, and then the other part of it though is I also have to think about that headline for uh, the email. Like uh, I'll also so when I wrote for the hustle, which I did for 18 months, uh, is a business tech newsletter. I probably did a couple hundred. I can't remember how many headlines I did, but I literally wouldn't write a story unless I knew I could do something punching that subject line. That's also not the best way to optimize your life, right? That's just like if you want eyeballs. There's, I mean, there, there's great works that uh, don't get eyeballs too, 
which is a little bit unfortunate, right? You want to put all your effort into creating the content and not getting distribution. They're equal to me. Like, if you're asking me, is distribution and putting it out there and selling yourself as important as writing the content? It 100% is, right? There's no point in put, pouring your heart into something and then being like, oh, I'll just let the world find it. Like, that's just not how it's going to work. I think the great point you make here too is, um, which Ogilvy said too, was just like 80, if you 80% of your dollar is spent on the headline. So if you're not grabbing attention, nobody's going to read it. So I think a lot of people, what they do is they spend so much time on the meat that they don't, they spend five minutes on a headline where the headline should be worked for hours and hours to get, sometimes some people get good at it, but it should be worked and worked and worked till you get a, a good framework yeah. down to, to grab attentions and eyeballs. A hundred percent is, uh, uh, I'll, I'll be even like, I'm not gonna talk about the headline, but it's the exact same, um, uh, parallels exactly what Ogilvy said. It's like, when I talk to anybody that's trying to get in the content game, the, I've said this so many times, but I, I find it the most true thing is when you have zero followers, you have anxiety because you're worried that no one's going to see your content. So before you hit publish, like, oh, no one's going to see it. When you have a lot of followers or a lot of a bigger audience, 100,000, 200,000, 300,000, whatever, your email list and uh, uh, your LinkedIn, Twitter audience. I mean, you, you'll know this, man. You'll start worrying when you hit publish, you're no longer worried that people are going to see it. You're worried that you might offend somebody, especially if you, you enjoy humor, right? Or you might say something wrong and somebody's going to call you out for that. So what I'm trying to say is that no matter what you're doing, you're going to have anxiety, right? And even though the, 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 the type of anxiety might be different, it ultimately physiologically will be the same feeling. You're going to have this uncertainty before you hit publish. And the reason I say all that is when I talk to anybody about creating content, listen, a lot of it is, it's not for everyone. Not everyone wants that temperament because you'll know this. You're, you have a massive LinkedIn audience. There is, listen, we'd be lying if we don't get mad dopamine from doing this stuff, right? And but that's also extremely unhealthy. And getting sucked in these dopamine cycles is not healthy at all. And not everyone has a temperament to get sucked into these uh, dopamine cycles. So that's one big part. The other thing I'd say is uh, you have to sell. You just have to sell. If you want to work in, if you want to do content and you're squeamish about selling, it's probably just not going to work out because there's so much content out there. Record number of, of songs, podcasts, blogs, writers uh, being launched, newsletters. If you can't break through the noise or learn how to work the mechanisms, like if you can't figure out Twitter's algorithm or LinkedIn, LinkedIn's algorithm to break through the noise, you're just not going to be able to succeed for that, which is fine, right? It's not meant for everyone, but that's what I'm trying to say. You got to have the right temperament and be willing to aggressively sell. One thing that people forget is like you have to market your content. Like as much as important as like creating the content is the distribution is probably as important or more 100%. important because so how are you going to take that Bloomberg article and make it a Twitter thread? How are you going to make that Bloomberg article like 10 posts? How are you going to make that Bloomberg article a TikTok? How are you going to make that Bloomberg article like a podcast episode? You just think about how I'm going to take this, these words and distribute them for that platform. And the key is like, you have like a lot of people forget that, the work never stops after creating the content. Now you got to figure out how to keep the cycle going all that content, um, which is what you do with marketing it through Twitter and stuff like that. Totally. And I, I just want to emphasize this. It, it, 
it's not for everyone, right? And and what I mean by that is like, if you dislike the, the feeling, if you have this feeling of anxiety when you publish and it's actually preventing you from publishing, I know a lot of people that are like that. And if you don't like being like aggressively like selling, then yeah, it's not, it's something that you're going to be going up against people that have no compunction about those two things. And that means in attention is the most finite resource. They're probably going to be winning that game. And then, listen, I, I don't want to frame all this as saying, oh, you got to get attention and be viral. It's like, you can still do great work. You should do great work, but you need to know how to sell that great work. That's what it comes down to. So if you're if you're capable of doing extremely great work, but totally squeamish about selling, I mean, that's going to be a bit of a problem, right? Is like, because now you're amazing, uh, well-researched, massive due diligence, and something that you have that's really important to say to the world. You're not pushing to get that out to the audience that you're trying to target, then you're doing yourself a disservice because as you said about Ogilvy with 80% headline, I mean, we said, okay, it's probably equally important, right? Finding distribution and writing. Let's just call it 50-50. Well, you're only playing half the game, right? If you're only creating the content and you have no will to do the other half of it, you're not even playing the game. Like you're, you're doing half of what's required. I have a question from someone in the audience. Have you ever followed your formula and had something not perform the way you expect? Oh yeah, all the time. All the time. Uh, It goes back to the anxiety thing. Yeah, that's the other part of it. Is like uh, you're worried about something not performing. It happens all the time. Uh, I'll be very honest. Is over the past, I say six months probably, I've I've intentionally started writing stuff that I'm I'd be more proud of uh, versus. So I'd optimize for something where I'll spend ten to fifteen hours researching. And it might not pop. And I know it might not pop versus doing something that's recycling something that I know will do well because, well, if something's done well before on the viral quotient, it'll do well again because it means you've hit everything that was required. You've hit the emotion. You've hit the pacing. And uh, and people just want that type of content. But I'm fine uh, overpass. And listen, I was thirsty as hell. I'll be honest with you. Like I grew pretty fast. But like it was like I was very thirsty at first. And now I care, uh, I care less than a... I think uh, somebody brought, took it to me. It's like, if you just keep doing kind of this clickbaity viral stuff, you think of yourself as a product almost. It's like your NPS score is going to be low. Like people will start like not like appreciating your work, right? They're like, yo, this this person, the most important thing to them isn't like, hey, I'm going to do something and explain something really well or try to entertain and educate someone. It's like, I'm just going to be Mr. Clickbait or Mrs. Clickbait. It's like your NPS score will go down. Well, uh, with other people. And I think that's important, right? And I think it gets to a point where you should really think about, especially if you're using these tactics and you're getting big, is like what what really matters? What do you actually want to do if it's just to grow, grow, grow with no real end goal? I think that it's a little bit unhealthy because it literally is unhealthy. It's like you're just fully in the dopamine train, right? So just answer the question is, uh, yeah, it happens all the time, but I'm used to it. So what are some things that you noticed between like a post that hits and a post that didn't? So things that do really well are consumer facing. I'll give you just this from a business perspective. If you write like consumer facing stuff, it'll do really well, right? Like Sriracha. People love Sriracha because it's just consumer facing product, obviously. I did something about, I wrote about a company called IRSRG. They're fascinating. They sell $1 million robotic surgery machines. That's not very consumer-facing. 
I spent a lot more time on that than I did on the Sriracha thread. But uh, that one kind of went nowhere and died. In the, but I think the topic's fascinating. And I'll find a way to repurpose it. That's another thing you think about. Even if you take an L, like you can repurpose those things. Like I'll, I'll write from a newsletter. Or if something happens with that piece of content, like in the news cycle, then I have something ready. And then I'll, uh, I, don't, I don't mind. I have zero compunction about reposting something. I think that's a great point too, the news cycle thing. So like... If- like something comes up, you have something ready. So like, even if that didn't, you always could repurpose something that exactly. exactly. Yeah. Um, wh- someone asked, so how does the level of affinity differ from follows you, you bring in from your viral content versus the value threads? I can't tease that out, but what I can tell is, uh, obviously I have a, uh, I have a newsletter list and I think those, uh, and those things is where, you know, it's long form. It's like I write long emails and I think uh, there's no question. There's high affinity on the long emails. It's a much smaller audience, but the people that read that every single week, like uh, that, in my mind, are like pretty uh, big fans of it because they tell me. I think yeah, there's no question. There's there's a lot of affinity. People will know. I'm not going to name names, but go online and look at some of these threads that go viral all the time. It happens all like the super clickbaity stuff. Go look at the rest of their content. There's almost zero engagement on it. And, and that's how you kind of tell. If these people are growing with viral threads and then the rest of their content is just complete duds, you're probably seeing that their NPS is not super high or people are just like, oh, cool, I'll follow because whatever. That's just how Twitter is pushing it on you. But uh, I think that's a good way to tease it out. I mean, to answer it from my point of view, I think like when I write value threads versus like, these are like 10 billboards that are available. Like I get way more like newsletter subscribers and those newsletter subscribers like stay longer because they're interested in my writing where other ones are just like, Hey, this guy, this is like cool. Maybe a cool idea. It's kind of like higher top of the funnel versus like metal funnel content. And now they want more metal funnel content. So that's the difference between me. So, how often should people repurpose? Like how often do you, would you take like that Sriracha thing and do it again or like a viral post? And have you seen it work multiple times doing that? On the repurposing side, here's, this is basically the math that I do is like uh, your Twitter audience or with your audience anywhere, say 10% of them actually see the content. It's like, I think that's a good heuristic. You kind of like, you have 500,000 marketing millennial followers. It, not all 500,000 of them are seeing every single post you're doing, right? Some combination of how regularly they're on versus the algorithm. Let's just call it 20%. So 20% of them saw your first thing, okay? Well, let's say six months later, now you have grown your audience and the 20%, what percentage of those even remember that you posted it? And then if you combine the fact that people forget and then that you've grown yourself, now 10% of your audience has seen that content. So who cares? It's like, I think six to 12, I mean, honestly, maybe not six, I'd say six months. I don't repurpose, uh, like, there's some things that are just so viral and they popped off the first time that, you know, you might just let it live. But uh, yeah, you can always add context to to content and, and make it more more timely and then you know that justifies it but yeah i think if uh some combination of your you're much bigger uh, you have a much bigger audience over time the, i guess the two axes are time and the audience growth it's worth it because you're the reality is that such a small percentage of your audience has seen it and people that complain about repost it's pathetic it's like dude who cares 
Like, you don't want to, you don't have to read it. Like, uh, you're not being asked to read this. This is free content, right? And it goes um, back to the Mr. Mr. Beast point. It's like the best stuff it will always be the best. Like somebody says, uh, Anna says here, it's good pillar content, right? It's like, if that's the best you've done then, and somebody's new to your work, they should see it. One thing that Trung does too is like, I'm going to say this and then ask the question. One thing, he, his content on Twitter gets shared so much that it goes viral on LinkedIn. So the Twitter car- LinkedIn carousel, like I see people emulating his carousels and they go viral yeah, on LinkedIn. Wild. But the other thing I want to ask you is, what is the best way to write a sales post without sounding generic or fake? I think humor is really important, but don't overdo it because I get a, a ton of like salesy type emails and if they overdo the humor, then that's obviously not great. But I think two things you want to demonstrate in a sales email, you actually know who you're talking to. So if somebody's pitching me something, I'm much more likely to respond to it if they actually, if they did not, not just be like, hey man, like where do they go to your sub stack? And I look at the title of your last article. It's like, oh, hey, I just read this. But like, you know, that's a, that's a low effort move. It's like if they actually are familiar with your work, uh, and then sprinkle a little bit of humor and personality into it. I think that's a good combination. But a lot of things is just like, you can tell it was just, and it's fine, right? People spray and pray. So I don't mind that. But I get a lot of messages. I'm sure you do too. And uh, uh, sometimes you just have to filter for your time wise, right? You, it's not to be a dick, but everybody has time commitments and, and, and a certain bandwidth they can handle. One thing I'll say because Strong has to go is that go follow his newsletter, go follow him on Twitter. He crushes content. If you want to see, like, literally what I think you, the best way to write great viral content is just look at the steps that he takes in his post and write your own post that way where a hook sets up the story, then writes more in-depth facts about the story, then closes it out, and then it, it everything flows and sings. And then also, like, every single post is set up to be retweeted and everything is sent up to be something that is so interesting that it wants to get shared. So every part of the story is, is set up that it could be shared to someone. So go follow Trung. Also next week, Anne Handley is joining us on here. So thank you, Trung, for joining. You're the man. Amazing. Um, um, thank you. Thank you Appreciate the, the time. Love the intro video. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to you later. All right. Peace out. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.